Spirit of the living God fall fresh now on this preacher and these your children who are watching us through live screen and who have gathered in this dedicated worship space. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Brothers and sisters, today we began the second installment of our series, The Kingdom of God. Kingdom, K-I-N space, D-O-M. And my friends, we declare that because the foundation of who we are as Christians is we are the family of God. Jesus' birth, death, and resurrection established us at fam- as family, kinfolk in the new kingdom of God. You see, Jesus' contextual concept of a new world order is that all who follow him all around the world would do so as family. We are kin. And his new reign or rule over his kingdom is with a law of love, a self-giving, a sacrificial kind of love that gives more than it ever expects in return. We are family. We are the kingdom of God. Noted theologian Ada Maria Acia Diaz recalls originally hearing the word kingdom from a friend who was a nun as an alternative to the language of kingdom. You see, kingdom for a lot of people have to do with colonial oppression and imperial violence. So she says Jesus used the kingdom of God to invoke an alternative order of things over and against the political context of the Roman Empire. And it's Caesar, the actual kingdom, and the king at that time. Jesus wanted an alternative rule, where people lived into a family model, governed by the law of love. If there was a way of describing the church of God, It must be in terms of a family unit. Like a baseball team, every family member serves a function. Like a basketball team, every family member must practice and that determine how the game will go. Like a hockey team, every family member has clear-cut functions because we're all gifted by God with certain gifts. Like a football team, the family's success depends on a good quarterback, and our quarterback is Jesus. Family, everyone has something to do and has been called and gifted by God to get it done. In this age of megachurch, some people look to come to church or join a church to be entertained, like a movie theater. But a church It's not effective because it's mega. It's effective when every member is involved and participating in some kind of ministry that makes the church move. We are built to overcome the world by using our God-given gifts to the day we die. In his book, Jesus and the Disinherited, Howard Thurman says, living in a deep climate of insecurity 
Jesus faced with so narrow of a margin of civil guarantees, had to find some other basis upon which to establish a sense of well-being for all. He knew that the goals of the religion as he understood them could never be worked out within the established order. Deep from within the order, Jesus projected a dream, the logic of which would give all the needful security. There would be room for all, and no one would be a threat to the other. The kingdom of God is within, Jesus said. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. The basic principle of his way of life cut straight through the despair of his contemporaries and found it groundless. By inference, Jesus says, we must abandon your fear of each other and fear only God. We must indulge, we must not indulge in any deception or dishonesty, even to save our own lives. Our words must be yea and nay. Anything else is evil. Hatred is destructive to the hated and the hater alike. Love your enemies that you may be the children of your father who is in heaven, end quote. One glimpse of the kingdom is when we see a space where brothers and sisters are welcome and our gifts are utilized to bring all into the family of God. Paul says in our text that was read, we are sanctified. That is, we have been set apart by Jesus. We have been made whole. We are saints. We have been brought into a family together with all those who are called all over the world in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. In a small Midwestern town, a young man heard the call to minister to the homeless. And he and his wife began to preach to anyone who would listen to them at a supermarket parking lot where the homeless normally gathered. There was a message for, that was so sincere and so powerful that the crowd of 50 or so would gather every day to hear their counsel. Immediately, lives began to change. Men and women were reacclimated to society. Men and women found jobs and went to work, housing, and they expressed their profound thanks to the Lord for his blessings. But a few short months after the police arrived at the parking lot one afternoon and ordered the crowd of worshipers to disperse. You can't have church on a supermarket parking lot. Not knowing what to do, the preacher and his wife told everyone to follow them down to the river. At the river, they reassumed their worship and counseling. The crowd soon realized that they needed a building to meet in. So they offered their money, their time, their talents, their gifts to build a church at the river. The property was acquired and a beautiful building was quickly erected with, a, with stained glass windows and a tall spire with a bell and plenty of parking for the new cars that these now successful men and women were able to buy and drive. 
with the new church building came new ministries. There was a ministry for seniors. There was a ministry for children. There was a ministry for teens. There was a ministry for singles, a ministry for women and men. But at this time, there was no ministry for the homeless. The pastor grieved that he was forsaken his primary call, opened a food pantry, and put out the word that the Riverside Church cared. Homeless came from all over the county in search for food and help. And that's when the trouble started. The residents at the river began to complain about the unsightly appearance of the people pushing shopping carts containing all their worldly goods across their nicely manicured lawn and parking lot. And the members of the Riverside Church brought their complaints to the pastor. And the pastor asked them a question. What do you think we should do? To which the members required, We need you to end this homeless ministry and this foolishness that you're keeping up. After all, we built a beautiful house of worship, and they're trampling all over our landscape and ruining our good name in the neighborhood. The pastor considered their argument and and, and troubled that he would have to forsake his call to minister to the homeless He refused to take the members' advice, to which they promptly held a meeting and voted him out of office. Paul reminds us we are built to introduce the world into the family of God, no matter their stations in life. He says we are sanctified saints set apart by God to be the kingdom of God, not sanctimonious. Brothers and sisters, there is a real ministry being performed in almost every church. I'm not saying churches are not performing ministry. All across this nation, churches are performing ministry. Some have food programs, some have clothing drives, some have counseling and and distress ministries. Others have benevolent funds for those in despair. Some have prayer hotlines for those in spiritual crisis. Some have mission thrusts that reach out to the unsaved nations of the world and people. Some have mission thrusts that care for the sick, the shut-in, and the underserved. But in all those ministries, there is a problem in the family of God. Because much of ministry is being performed by just a few saints. Across this nation and the world, the church of Jesus Christ is filled with too many inactive Members who have been gifted by God, who have been called into ministry, and the church has failed to call them into service and put their gifts to use. But the family, the kingdom, are built for more. We come to worship to be fueled to utilize our God-given gifts for service. We come to worship and go, not come to worship and stay. Friends, everyone listening to the sound of my voice, no matter your station in life, 
has to use the gifts that God has given you to the call of ministry that God has placed on each of our lives. Some must realize that you have been called to outreach service. Some must realize that you've been called to learn how to evangelize evangelize your neighborhood and the world. We must realize that some have been called to distribute food to the needy. Some have been called to be involved in prison ministry. Some have been called to tutor and nature the mind, nurture the minds of young people. But every member of the church of the family of Jesus Christ has a special gift to be used in the kingdom for building it up because God built us this way. That's the way God made us. Every one of us has a call. If you walk in the sanctuary and you can't hardly stand it because the sopranos are not singing on tune, you probably got a call to ministry of music. If you walk into the sanctuary and you can't stand it because the ushers are not where they're supposed to be, God is probably calling you to be an usher. Some have been given the gift of wisdom and are called to counsel. Others have been given the gift of knowledge for the effectual work of of administration in the church. Some have the gift of great faith and are called to establish prayer ministries. Some have the gift of healing and are needed to lay hands on the sick that they might recover from infirmities. Some have the gift of discernment and and can guide the church through the mucky waters of mission. Some have the gift of miracles and are able to call down blessings from on high through spiritual expectations. And yes, some have been even given the gift of spiritual interpretation. So Christ's body, the church, the family, the kingdom will follow the direction of the Holy Spirit and not pray and serve amiss. The church is called to save the world. If you watching your TV and reading your newsword paper and you feel like the world has gotten out of hand, remember, each one of us is called to save the world. But too many dormant gifts of doubtless able to deliver the disorient wayward children of God into the family of God. A few people cannot do it. Every family member has been gifted. I don't care if you are crackhead. You've been gifted to do something. And our mission, our ministry, is to help you discover that gift and move every obstacle out your way so that that gift can be utilized. What Paul and pastors across the nation and the world are calling for is sanctified saints who will follow the leading of the Holy Spirit and serve according to the call that God has on each individual life for in every way we have been enriched in Jesus in speech in knowledge and in every kind thing Paul says in Corinthians we are lacking no gift we have everything it takes to change the world in Jesus name because God has strengthened us to the day that Christ will return God is faithful by him we are called into fellowship Paul says family we've fallen behind 
in our gift giving, not our tithes and offering, but we've become slack in utilizing the talents given to us by the Spirit of God for the effectual work of ministry to the lost souls and to each other in God's world. Too many family members are not putting their shoulder to the wheel, and the church has failed to say, here's where you belong. Too many family members are failing to give wings to their witness and the church has failed to give them an avenue for that witness. Too many family members are failing to undergird their confession of faith with action. In most cities across the nation, chambers of commerce or some other community-minded organization hold annual job fairs in an effort to put the unemployed to work. Counselors screen the employment applications in an attempt to marry them with the right company so that both the employer and the employee will benefit. Maybe that's what the church of Christ, the kingdom, needs. A job fair. To analyze the gifts of all the saints and to match them up with the ministry that God has for them so that they are not lacking in any spiritual gift waiting for the revealing of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are behind in utilizing our family members for the cause of Christ, and we need to catch up. We're behind when men and women right in our own neighborhoods have no church and don't know our church. We're behind when there is no cohesive effort of of pastors across color lines to work together. We're behind when Sunday school combine classes for like of students. We're behind when single mothers feel estranged from God and the local community of God. We're behind when prisons are filled with Muslim converts and barely new Christianity. Another glimpse, my friends, of the kingdom of God, an example that we are built to overcome the world, is the nonviolent civil rights movement led by Martin King, Jr. Martin King, Jr. today has become Human Relations Day on the United Methodist Special day's calendar. This Sunday has been designated as Human Relations Day. The church did so to allow us to step back just far enough from the historical person, Martin King Jr., just enough to embrace the sweeping worldwide reforms initiated by Dr. King and others during the Civil Rights Movement. The movement that took place in the 50s and 60s, it also calls us to remember two things. That one person can make a tremendous difference and that when we venture forth in the name of God's justice, we will have to stand alone sometimes, but God will make a way. Dr. Martin King has truly taken his place in history as a drum major for justice leading a parade of like-minded people on several continents who continued the work begun under his leadership nearly half a century 
ago. Martin King and the Civil Rights Movement is a glimpse of what God had in mind of the kingdom of God at work among us. He called it the beloved community, a community in which everyone cared for absence, for the absence and absence of poverty, absence of hunger and absence of hate. Reverend King popularized the term during his lifetime of activism and imbued with new meaning, fueled by his faith that such a communion was in fact possible. And I want to couch it with this knowledge that Martin King was first and foremost a well-educated preacher. Emphasis, preacher. The beloved community he spoke about was the family of God, the kingdom, the kingdom, not a secular social socialist agenda. Dr. King's beloved community exhibited the agape love that he learned from Christ, which is the love of God operating in all of human hearts. It seeks to preserve and create the community of God. Christ's mature followers love each other as well as those who persecute or do evil against them. It's love that drew Catholics and Jews. Native Americans, white people, and black people in the 1950s and 60s to lock arms and march and pray together as family because they understood they were the kingdom of God. Jesus calls us to love the ones in this world that nobody else will love. Jesus calls us to reach out to the lonely, to the hungry, to the sick, to the ones in prison, to the disabled, to the forsaken, to those in need, to all of those people who need to hear that somebody indeed loves them and we are witnesses that Christ loves them. But we are behind because we need willing workers to step up and say, I have been gifted by God. I have a gift to be used in the community. No church can depend on a faithful few to carry out the mission. It's too big. The mission is to the world. If our hope is to be found blameless in the day of the Lord Jesus Christ, then we've got to step up and catch up. If the cross is the vertex of all historical events, then we've got to step up and catch up. If the cross is the apex of all celebrated affairs, then we've got to step up and catch up and don't let anybody stop us from using our God-given gifts to bring a dying world into the knowledge of Jesus Christ. I don't know about you, but I'm tired of six-year-old children pulling guns on students. I'm tired of parents having to explain to their grade school kids how to be careful in school because some wayward person may come in and do some demented act. We are built to change the world. If the cross, if the pinnacle of all great moments, then we've got to step up and catch up. You have what it takes you have the talent. We've got to step up and catch up the work of kingdom building. We've got to work 
while the day is done. Friends, that will mean a cultural shift in Calvary and every church of Jesus Christ around the world because it will mean that we shift priorities. It will mean living a whole new approach to the family of God. It will call us to embrace the newness of change which Jesus always brings. It will mean trust and reliance and placing one's whole life in God's hands regardless of what happens in life. Yes, it's call for a leap of faith. Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of God, that the kingdom of God was at hand. He asked us to go into all the world with the same message, the message of the good news of God, and that the, his kingdom is now. It's at hand. It's for you to grab. Jesus calls us to a life of conviction, to a life of urgency, to a life of reaching out with his message of love and forgiveness to all the people we encounter in life. Just as those disciples were called off the shores of the Sea of Galilee, we know the Lord that too many are being called in our lives and are not using the talents that they've been given. Family, we are to exercise our God-giving gifts to send a powerful message to the world that Jesus is alive, not just in our message, but in our mission, not just in our music, but in our method, just not in our faith, but in our fellowship. Christ is alive, and we are the hope of the world. We are the hope for a dying world to be saved. We are the sanctified saints of God called to initiate the kingdom of God. Well, everybody is somebody because everybody has been gifted by God. We are built to overcome a world that's heck bent on destroying itself. We are built to bring a knowledge that there is a better way of living by our example. Brothers and sisters, every one of us has a talent. Do you know what yours is? Gracious God, thank you so much for your son, Jesus Christ, who came into a world where they had stolen the mission of your church. And from deep within that world of Judaism, Jesus projected a dream that says the church does not belong to the few in hierarchy, but it belongs to all of your children. Oh, God, we pray that somewhere, somehow, every one of us will come alive with the knowledge that you have kaleoed us, you have called us into a sanctified ministry. In Christ's name we pray.